Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Three things that Jesus said. Deny self. Take up your cross. Follow me. And we can change the world. And he set the pace. All right, here we go. New series today. Go ahead and take your, grab your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the Great Commission today, verses 16 through 20. If you don't have a Bible or a smartphone, then uh, down the center aisle are stacks of Bibles. So you can just like lift your hand up and tell somebody you need one. They'll pass one down to you. And uh, we don't need those back. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to use one while, while you're uh, charting along with me as I go through Matthew 28 today, you're welcome to keep that. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We're going to start out by reading these together out loud. You can read on the screen or read from your smartphone or your tablet or your, your handheld Bible. How many people have a handheld, like a, like a Bible Bible? Yeah, well, I know you got... <laughs> it's just interesting how, you know, technology has changed our world. All right, let me stop. Let's, let's read together. Here we go. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we pause to say thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gathering of your church. We particularly thank you uh, for Transit Church, for um, all that you are calling her to be, and for the challenge this morning of being disciples and making disciples. God, give us ears to hear what you're, what you're saying to us by your spirit and cause that word to go from our head, what we know, to our heart, what we feel, to taking action in our own lives and in the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, so we begin a new series today. And, and my purpose is, is really twofold. First, about this time of year, uh, I endeavor to remind you of what the mission of our church is. And that's important. Our, our mission isn't anything different than any other church, to be honest with you. But in terms of why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing, the who, what, why, when and how of the transit, it's encapsulated in our mission. And very simply, our mission is to glorify God. By making disciples. That's all that we exist for. And that's uh, there's a lot in that. My, I'm, in the sermon, I'm not going to unpack that. But knowing why God has put this church right here where it is in the midst of the neighborhood that we are in is important because this is what we're called to. And 
Uh, if we're doing anything more than this or anything less than this, then we're outside of the boundaries of what God has called us to as a church. That's the first thing that I want to to bring to a fruition in this sermon series. And we'll talk about that as we go along in the next five weeks. Secondly, the very mission that God has given us, that of making disciples, is the thing that he's called us to individually and corporately as a church. The Bible says that Jesus calls us to be disciples. He calls you to be his disciple. I'm going to explain that a little bit today. So what I want to do this morning is renew our focus on this primary mission. And I'll do that by way of introducing this sermon series and what discipleship is, unpacking really what it means firstly to be a disciple and then what it means to make disciples. And there's no there's no better place to do that than the Great Commission. Okay, This is where we get that mission to do uh, to to be a disciple and to to make disciples. And our mission really is nothing more than a derivation, a a restatement of the Great Commission. We've already read it. I'm going to start jumping in in verse 16 and 17. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. I had never seen some of the words in verse 17 until studying this this week. Interesting words. But but the words themselves are they should be good news for us, not good news as in the gospel. Good news, but good news because we're people just like these 11 disciples. Do you see it? The good news is, is that some of them worshiped him, but some of them doubt it. And so if you're here and you wrestle with this whole idea of 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 the gospel and what that means for you. If you're here and you are trying to get your arms around the fact that, okay, so so uh, God incarnated himself to as a person, you know, as a baby, grew up as a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and atoned for my sin. And then not only that, he rose bodily from the grave and ascended back into heaven. And you want me to believe that? And so, you know, some of us have a hard time putting our our head and our heart around that. And this passage here tells us that those 11 disciples did, too. I mean, these are the 11 men minus Judas that walked. They were the closest to him that you could be close to, to Jesus. They walked with him. They talked with him. They saw him do miracles. And it says some of them worshiped him, but some of them doubted. And what this means for us is that that means all of you are good raw material to be disciples. That's what it means. It means that it's okay for you to doubt and try and figure it out. It means that you are an ordinary person just like those ordinary disciples. You know, a lot of times we we look at the the, the disciples that are depicted in various places in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular. And we think that they're superhuman, extra courageous, like, you know, above the level of life kind of people. And then we look at our own life and we see, you know, whereas they were they had, they had courageous faith, great faith. Their names are in the Bible. And then we look at ourselves and we're just trying to live life, go, you know, go to work, um, make a little money, take care of our family, put food on the table. And it's like, well, they're like this and we're like down here. But this this verse does away with that. It puts us all on the same level. 
It says that they were ordinary people who followed Jesus and you're no different than him. That's what these 11 disciples were. They weren't superhuman. They weren't heroic people. They were ordinary people who worshiped, but also who doubted, who believed, but also who struggled to believe. And that gives me great hope for myself, but also for you. And so Jesus comes to these ordinary disciples and continuing in verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so in my Bible, these are red letters. I got a red letter Bible. And so uh, starting at the word all authority, you know, that, this is Jesus talking. It's these, these words are coming directly from Jesus' lips. He's talking to those disciples. And of course, because this is meant for us as well, he's talking to us. And I want to share with you what Jesus is sharing with the disciples. And, you know, there's many ways that we could come at, uh, you know, this. we could unpack the Great Commission in many different ways. You've heard sermon after sermon. I think I preached on this in the 17 months of our church. This is my third time preaching on the Great Commission. But there's something unique I want you to see today as, as we embark on this idea of discipleship. And it's, and it's, it's a three-letter word. It's the word all. And I want to look at the, the alls that Jesus talks about in regards to the commission that he gave his closest friends as he was in, uh, setting them out on a mission to make disciples. And the first thing that he says in regards to all is that he has all authority. This is what authority is. And, you know, most of you all know this because half of you are in some kind of military or governmental context or you have some high powered job here in the D.C. area and you have people under you and responsibility. And so, you know what authority is. You're either in authority or perhaps you are under authority. We have seen it. Some, I mean, all of us born of, of woman. OK, know what authority is because your parents had authority over you at some point, unless you like were shucking authority. OK. So authority is the power or the right to give orders, make decisions and to enforce obedience. So Jesus is saying, I got that. That's what this passage said. Jesus is saying, I've got all authority. I got it. So those of you that um, that have authority issues, you're going to struggle with this first part, because I'm going to talk about Jesus and his authority, not just over everyone, and everything, but over you. Because that's really what what he's saying. So Jesus is saying that he has all authority. And that authority is in all places and it's everywhere in the universe. He says it belongs to him. He's the highest authority anywhere on heaven or earth, angelic realms, among human governments. And that's a huge statement for Jesus to make. Um, C.S. Lewis has a number of, you know, uh, prolific author C.S. Lewis has a number of books that many of you have read. One of the one of my favorites and probably one of his all time great is Mere Christianity. And in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis makes this comment. Jesus could only have been one of four things, a legend, a liar, a lunatic or the very Lord and God that he professed to be. So think about that. Based upon what we know about Jesus in the Bible, uh, this doesn't give any option for him to be just a good guy, a moral teacher, a man who set a good example for us, which is what everybody else in the world thinks about Jesus. What Jesus said of himself in the Bible was that he had all authority, that the whole universe centered around him. He was the one that put it in existence. He, he holds it and sustains it by his by his upheld hand. And so as C.S. Lewis says, Jesus was either who he said he was or he was nuts. Honestly. 
he was nuts. And so if this is true, that Jesus has all authority, we really we really have to reckon with what that means for us, for you personally. What does that mean for you? Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth everywhere. And really, as we're reading these words, what we have to do here is is embrace it. We got to embrace it a little bit. And so if, if these words are true and he's not a lunatic or a liar or just nuts, then whatever comes next out of this authority's mouth, whatever he gives us as this is what I want you to do based upon my authority. We either have to say, oh, I'm all in or we have to say I'm all out. Either I believe you and I'm going to submit to who you say you are and do whatever that is. And so if if out of Jesus mouth, he said, all right, so all authority has been given to me and I want you to go stand on one leg and dr- comb the hair of your barber doll. And that sounds stupid, but if he has all authority, then he can tell me he has power and the right to give orders and make decisions and enforce our obedience. Right. Uh, Jesus isn't telling us to do that. Thank God. Although I have counted Barbara Doll's hair, Zoe has several of them. So we either embrace it or we reject it. And we, uh, of course, if we reject it, we have to come to grips with all the ramifications of rejecting his authority. And so for those of us who embrace the authority of the Lord Jesus, whatever comes next out of his mouth, particularly what's in the text, we're on the hook for. So what does Jesus say? He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. This is what Jesus in his authority tells us to do. He's connecting his authority on earth to what he commands us to do. I've got all authority. It's mine. All of it. And based upon the authority that I have resident in myself, I want you to go do this. Go and make disciples. This is what Jesus wants his followers to do. And very simply, this is this this simply means Jesus authority is manifested in in the structures that help us with discipleship. That's what he's saying here. I've got all authority. I want you to go make disciples. And so he he entrusts his authority to the mechanisms in our world by which we would make disciples. And we see that in, in, in two ways. Firstly, he, we see his authority manifested in his lordship over ourselves, submitting to what he tells us to do. And then we see it manifested in, in his word, his spirit, and his church, what he commands the church to do. And let me give you an example. And so the way that a church would deal with the Great Commission It's simply this. Every church has to answer the question, how do we give ourselves to be about the Great Commission? If Jesus has all authority and he's telling us to do this and other places in the Bible, he's commissioned the church to be the vehicle by which he advances his kingdom and helps the making of disciples. Then how do we go about this? And the way that we go about this at the transit, obviously, is we gather just like today. We gather in to worship sing songs. We gather into worship, uh, listening and responding to the preached word. We gather to observe the sacraments, communion and baptism to um, to respond some way to God and his word. And also in our church, one of the ways that we respond to the Great Commission is we meet in community groups. We go to each other's homes and we fellowship and we uh, enter into the word. We talk about it. We unpack it. Uh, we're disciple in that manner, old and young, of every color, 
from all different kinds of backgrounds. We're pressing in on each other. We're doing the one another's of scripture, eating together, uh, meeting each other's needs. And I, I know this. I know some of you are, are nervous about this idea of, of going to somebody's house. Uh, you don't know them. Um, and then just opening yourself up to people also that you don't know. But this is one of the ways that we come to grips with the great commission of making disciples in our church. And what the, what it causes you to do is, I mean, it, it just presses you and you got to make a decision. Am I going to do what Jesus said to do? Um, am I going to am I going to adhere to how uh, making disciples manifest in my local setting? And so you got uh, Jesus authority over me as Lord. But you also have Jesus authority manifested in the church over, you know, people like me, pastors and deacons and elders and actually church members. And then you have the, the, the method that the church comes about discipleship. And for us, we come in and we gather, but we also scatter and meet together. This is how we make disciples. You feel impressed yet? Because Jesus has commanded us to make disciples, this is what our church decides to do. We want to do it together. Let's organize ourselves in some way so that we can facilitate the purpose of making disciples. Let's not be a church of scattered individuals who have our own ideas of how to fulfill what the Bible, st- Bible says. Instead, let's grasp together this imperative that Jesus has given us and decide to live under his authority for his mission in his world for his glory. And so, like I announced today during you know, the announcement session, this is our fall cycle of community groups. I'm beating y'all up. I know. I can just feel it. Relax. Take a deep breath. It's all right. We have our cycle starts. You know, we got three cycles. The fall cycle starts this week. We got community groups that meeting all around D.C. You know, not a lot of them, but enough for you to, to fill in. There's one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday, one on Thursday. And there's a men's group that meets for breakfast. There's a woman's group that meets for brunch generally. There's a student group that meets uh, the second Sunday of, of every month. And we, I would encourage you, don't shy away. Press in. Press into what Jesus has called you to be and how our church manifests this idea of, of being under the authority of Jesus. And find your place in a community group and join us on the journey. So the first all of the Great Commission is where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It makes us reckon with the reality of who he is and what it means for him to be Lord over our life. The second, the second all is all nations. We see that in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so this is this is who you are to make disciples of. Jesus basically says everyone everywhere. Lottie, Dottie, everybody. I like that. I'm making myself laugh. Y'all don't have to laugh for me. I'm making myself laugh. He says, go make disciples. Isn't that cool? Um, You know, whenever we see the word nations, we automatically default to political boundaries, nation states and governments. And really, the the implication here in the text is a little more broad than that. The, the, The thought is peoples and people groups. Okay, so it's not just going uh, to foreign nations and finding people who don't know Jesus and uh, you know converting them there, although that is a part of that. This, this is saying the global evangelization of our world is of the essence. We should do that. That's a natural outflow of the Great Commission. 
But for those of you that live in the D.C. region, I mean, the nations come to D.C. They're already here. And so if you if you're I live like point nine miles that way up on the hill and in my little cul-de-sac from all over the world right there by me. okay? and he's saying everyone everywhere. And sometimes we you know, we we stress to go around the world to go and make disciples when really all you got to do is like come out of your door with your coffee cup and your bathrobe on and just look around here in D.C. and it's like. Where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? Our mission is right in front of us. We don't have to go to the other end of the world uh, to find the mission that Jesus is calling us to. And because the nations come to D.C. and our our culture is so diverse, really, our task here is huge. Um, I like I don't love I like the growing diversity of our church. Um, But. I'm always thinking about those people in our community, just like, like right across the street right over there that aren't in here, that aren't like us. That's what I'm always thinking about. How is it that I can, that our church together can go and contextualize the good news of Jesus in such a way that the people who are right over there that don't go to church, might not have a gospel community, can somehow come to grips with a, a God that loves them enough to die for them. Okay, in their place for their sin. And I can say it in a way they understand it and will embrace it. That's what I'm always thinking about. And I would encourage you. That's what you should be thinking about as well. And So when you gather in your community groups, we're we're people of affinity, Transit Church. I love y'all, but y'all are people of affinity. Y'all like each other. And we want to we want to grip elbows with people who are like us and to to make disciples of all nations, all peoples and people groups, we have to go outside of what we're comfortable with and we have to we have to be willing to reach out, reach out and touch. <laughs> We've got to be willing to reach out to people who aren't quite like us. And I know that's uncomfortable, but God has called you to that and you aren't up for the task, but he gives you his spirit to help you in ways that you can't even help yourself. And so I'm always thinking about those who aren't yet here and how we can reach them. And I want you to think about that, too. And in regards to that, you know, our, our, the vision of our church is uh, is that we would have lives that are so impacted by the gospel that we live it out, that it, that it brings us to action. And that's what's, you know, so all of you all that came for the first time picked up one of these. And you, I don't know if you read it or not, but it's articulated here. It talks about our vision. Uh, and it's really that simple. Transform lives that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be a message that we we know intuitively in our head. Last week, I told you the ball, the, 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 the gripped fist. Christ died in my place and he was raised. That's how we articulate the gospel. I know that in my head. But what does that mean for my emotions and my feelings in that place where I'm really changed? And then how can I get the what I know about Jesus and what I feel about Jesus in my hands so that I act out on it so that it changes me and fuels me to go and do what he's called me to do. Be a disciple and also make a disciple. And then we, we just lay this out that we want the gospel in our church to transform us and make us so um hungry for other people to be changed by that same message that it affects our evangelism, how we talk about the gospel with intentionality toward people and how we make disciples and our social involvement. We are socially involved culture now. We all we want to we want to be about social justice and making sure that people who are wronged are righted. OK, 
The gospel it compels us to do that. And then world missions and also this little work called church planning. We want to help other gospel communities like us come to fruition, uh, not just over there, but like right here around our area. Wherever there's not a gospel witness, we want there to be one. So the first all is Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. The second all, he says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And the third all is we're supposed to do all that Jesus commands. Verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So here is what discipleship is. This is my first time I'm going to define discipleship for you. It's teaching people, helping people, discipling people to observe, obey, practice all that Jesus commanded. And so he doesn't. Obviously, this is just a sentence. You have to go in other places in the New Testament to see all that Jesus commanded. John, the the end of John tells us there's not enough room in any book to, to actually capture all that Jesus said when he was on the earth. Those short three years, he's talked all the time, giving sermons everywhere. But of all the things that we know that Jesus said and from the acts of the apostles that are replicated in the epistles and some of the latter works of the New Testament, we know what Jesus commanded us to do. Particularly here, he said, go and make disciples and be one yourself. Here's what's interesting about this. Um, if if discipleship is teaching and helping people to observe and obey and practice all that Jesus commanded, when is this task finished? I mean, do we ever get finished with it? Never. We, we don't. We never stop being a disciple. We never stop growing and maturing and and really impl- implementing all those things that Jesus said in, in Scripture. And I, I would tell you, if you ever get to a point where the people in your community group are like they're done, you, you're in heaven. That, that's what happens. We don't get that. And so the neat thing is, if you're a community group leader in here, you, you have automatic job security because none of your people are ever going to stop being disciples. They're never going to arrive. It's an ongoing process for all of us. Here's the second thing. Discipleship is bringing every area of your life under the lordship of Jesus. And this is this is the hard part about being a disciple. When Jesus says teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, the implication is you don't go from zero to to full consummated disciple in, in one fell swoop. None of us can do that. You don't go from not following Jesus over on this side to fully uh, following and being obedient to Jesus all day, all the time, all in one day. I think what this looks like is a continual reorienting of your world, of uh, all that you deal with in whatever context of life um, you you live out. These things unfold as you go along. God intends for it to be like that, that you're learning constantly and continually what it means to obey. And you learn to obey in every aspect and in every of your every area of your life uh, over time. We just can't snap our fingers and, and and simply be all that Jesus calls us to be. And he knows that. But here's where it starts. It starts with a definitive conversion experience. If I go back to verse 19, verse 19 says this baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The, the inference here is a decisive moment in time where your life breaks with your past and you embark on something new. I'm going to break from uh, the life that I was living, whatever that life was, however uh, harrowed it was or however nice or simplistic it was, and I'm going to specifically follow Jesus. 
That's what a conversion experience is. I'm going to set myself out on a, a, a path to follow him and do what he's commanded me to do. Theologically, we know that this is a manifestation of the fruit of God's grace in your life. It's not you performing or working your way to God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says uh, that we can't earn our way to God, but by faith through grace, God gives us salvation. So that's what conversion experience is. It's a a departing from your old life and embracing a new life, primarily that of, of pursuing Jesus. I see the beauty of the gospel and I grab hold of it and I go on from there. Here's the neat thing about this. We need God's help even to do that. To turn from what we were doing and to embrace him. We need his help. We need his Holy Spirit to awaken us to who Jesus is and to grip us so that we would want to to follow him. But here's the problem with this this idea of of conversion. Sometimes we read the language of, of baptism in the New Testament. And because all of us have been baptized and I mean, baptism is a cultural ritual. Every faith. Um, I, my story is uh, my grandmother wanted me to sing in her Baptist church. And so I, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't care about Jesus. I just wanted to sing for my grandmother in church. And so I submitted to my grandma, not to Jesus. I got baptized. That's it's true. I got baptized. I sang in her church. And years later, when I was in college in a Bible study, going to the book of John, I realized that that experience didn't make me a Christian. Going to church with her and my parents as a young man did not make me a Christian. What made me a Christian? Submitting to Jesus as the one who died in my place for my sin, that loved me enough to die for me, that that gave me his grace, a grace that I didn't deserve. And so we live in a culture that everybody's been, been baptized. And so we miss the decisive significance of what baptism is of what entering in uh, of, of leaving your past and submitting to Jesus actually is of many of you have Muslim friends or you've seen it on TV or you've read about it, that if you're a Muslim who rejects their faith and embraces Christianity, you really have rejected you uh, not just the culture uh, and your uh, and your faith. You've rejected your family. And oftentimes those people are ostracized completely away from all that they knew about life. And I would tell you that really is what's symbolized by this idea of being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a complete separation from who you were. It's a lot, it's in, in every way, it's a life-changing, life-altering, life-defining moment. That's what conversion is. It's turning from everything in your life, turning to and submitting to the triune God, triune God that loves you. And so what it looks like after that is to ask yourself, what does it mean for me to observe all that Jesus commanded? What does it mean for my family, my vocation, when I go to work, uh, my free time, my money, my relationship with others? What does that look like for me to do all that Jesus commands me in all the little crevices of my life? This is what it means to become a disciple. I'm learning to observe and obey what Jesus said in every aspect of my life. And I think what this means for us as a church is, this is it, simply. We, we're trying to point everybody to Jesus. We're trying to point all of you and everybody else that will come and 
donned the doors of this school in fellowship with us. We're trying to point them to Jesus. Because what we understand of what he's saying here is that Jesus, he's saying, I'm the center of the world. I am it. Everything revolves around me. And so if you're a Christian here in this room, then my perspective for you is that we are trying to encourage you to 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 grab hold of Jesus and figure out what following Jesus would look like in the rest of your life and then follow him hard. And if you're not a Christian here, we want to first tell you who Jesus is, show you what he's done in our life and then point you to him. What we're not focusing on here at the transit is whether you walked an aisle, whether you prayed a prayer, how many times you knelt at the altar, what miraculous experience that you had that may, that someone may have told you was a conversion experience. I'm not interested really in any of that. Our focus is rather on how are you pursuing Jesus now? Who is Jesus to you? What are the implications of that for where you are right now in your life? And how is it going to change you for the future? Eventually, what that means for some of you is that you'll realize, like I did when I was uh, in college, thought I was a Christian. I was a good, upright, moral, moral dude doing my own thing, singing the gospel choir. And I was, you know, open my Bible for the first time, reading the book of John. John will do works on John is just like slash you verse after verse. And, you know, I just reading it, reading it, reading it. There's some red letters. Come to chapter three. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And I just had the revelation. The Holy Spirit opened my heart to see the, the message of Jesus, that it wasn't what I did, how good I was, how upstanding or what I didn't do. It was that uh, I was a sinner and I needed a savior. And so perhaps for you, uh, this idea of, of coming to grips, with what Jesus is commanding you to do for some of you, you'll realize that you've done things that may suggest that you're a Christian. I've gone to church. I went to Sunday school. I went to VBS. I responded when I was a young kid to an altar call. I, I played a prayer to prayer. I've done all kinds of things. You may even pray every day and read your Bible and still not be a Christian. I'm not saying that you are or not. I'm just saying that could possibly be the case. Perhaps you will find out that you're not and you'll get converted and get baptized. And then once that happens, it means that you'll continue to orient your life around Jesus. Slowly figure out what it means for you to follow him, to make him Lord of your life in all the crevices that that life has for you. The first uh, the first all is that Jesus has all authority. The second all is he said all uh, bring make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The third all is that we're supposed to do all that Jesus commands. And then, yeah, yeah I, there's a fourth all. It's kind of uh, an all. But before I get to that, I mean, think about this. These are some, like, some, these are some huge, big, vast alls that Jesus just dumped on us as he was about to leave the earth and go back into heaven. And the truth is, if you really embrace what Jesus is saying in this, this words, all, uh, it, this, it's comprehensive, and honestly, it's overwhelming for us as individuals to, 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 to grasp that he wants us really to do these things. And that's, it's just, he wants us to do them until we see how he ends the passage. And I love how Jesus ends his passage. And he says, lastly, I'm with you always. I know that's not all, but come on, I'm a preacher. I got to make it sound good. Verse 20, and behold, I'm with you always, the end of the age. 
And so Jesus knows that he, if he gives us a mission and a command without his presence, then we will fail. We sang a song here at the end of our worship about your presence is all I need. Without it, I'm nothing. And that's the absolute truth. Without Jesus' presence going before us, we will fail. We'll fail every time. We'll do it in our own strength and we may succeed for a moment, but over the long haul, we'll get tired. We'll tire, you know, we'll just peter out. Or eventually our strength will leave us a little bit short of what we, the goal was. So Jesus knows that after you've walked with him for a while, this is the truth, that the journey can become tiring. It can be it can become hard. I was laying in bed just last week just thinking, man, this is just getting hard. You know, I've done some pretty successful things in my life and I'm not boasting. Um, but, you know, since I look back, they've all been kind of sort of in my own strength. And this is the deal. You can't pastor people and plant a church and do all that God requires you to do in your own strength. You just can't. And. Uh, I came to the realization of that. My own sermon is like speaking to me. And so I'm, I'm encouraged by many of you. There's some of you in this room. There's a very couple, there's a few of you who've been with us like two plus years ago when we were in North Carolina just dreaming of what it would look like for us to plant a church. And we like met in our house and had some food and just talked about vision and value stuff over and over and over again because we didn't know anything else to do. And then some of y'all started moving. We got here two years ago. And in October, two years ago, we start meeting in our home. And some people invited other friends and we found some neighbors. I mean, it was just it was neat. Um, but, the, you know, some of you have been doing this, like coming in on Sunday mornings, getting up before, you know, seven or six, showing up at eight, setting all this stuff up, going through church and then tearing it down. For 17 months. Some of y'all have been doing that for 17 months. Some of you here are community group leaders that week after week invite people into your home. And it's not just adults, but it's like middle school and high school and, and young kids. And, you know, we, we, it's fun doing life, but that can be tiring. And it's like, man, this is draining me. And Jesus knows that at some some point we can we can get to the point where we want to ask, man, is this worth it? Is it worth it that we put all this effort just for, you know, to, to do this on Sunday and come together in the middle of the week? Jesus knows that the natural evolution of being involved in his mission, not just getting ready for church and doing church, but his complete mission of making disciples and being a disciple. We get tired. That's why he said, come to me. All you are, are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so here he says, I'm with you always. In other words, this is, and this is really good news for me. It's not us making disciples. I know it looks like we're making disciples, but it's Jesus making disciples. It's not our mission. It's his mission. It's, it's what he's doing in the world, not what we're doing in the world. We just get to participate. And so that's why we can come to this verse, these, this great commission with great commission in Jesus' words, because he's making disciples. It's not up to us. It's up to him. He's the one doing it in your community group. He's the one doing it in your very own life. You get to participate. This is encouraging for me because I, you know, I stand up here as your pastor and I get to preach and talk to you about what, you know, 
really what the Holy Spirit puts on, on my mind for you. And I think he does that purposefully. But really, this is the Holy Spirit preaching to you. And I just get to participate a little bit. At least that's what I'm praying. And so what is evident here, as in other places in the Bible, is that we can't even do what God commands us to do without his help. We need his help. But he said, I'm with you always. Jesus is the one who makes disciples. Jesus is the one who accomplishes his work in the world. We get to come alongside him. I'm with you always. One of the, you know, old commercial. Don't leave home without him. If Jesus is the one who's making disciples, don't leave home without him. So Jesus firstly calls us disciples. We're going to talk about that over the next four weeks. I know I haven't talked really about the nuts and bolts of what is it that a disciple does? What is it? You know, I'm going to unfold that over the next four weeks. And I think you'll get a lot out of it. And because Jesus has been given all authority, he commands all to he commands us to go into all nations among all peoples and all people groups to make disciples, to teach them, to obey all that he commands. And he promises in the midst of this, I'll be with you always. So transit church, here's the mandate. Be a disciple, but also we're called to make disciples. Think about it. Why would we not? Why would we as a church, why would we not at least attempt, give a wholehearted attempt to do what Jesus has told us to do? Why would we keep ourselves from diving into this? This is really why we exist. This is what we see Jesus doing in Scripture. He invites us along first as his disciples, but then also to join in and make disciples. And the good news, he says he's going to be with us. So the two questions that we want to ask as ask and answer as we go along in this series. Firstly, what would it mean for you to be a disciple? What would it mean for you right in the context of where you live, work, play, exist? And then secondly, what does it mean for you to be caught up in the mission of making disciples? And I've said this uh, a couple times already. I'm going to say it again. For some of you, it'll mean conversion. You'll realize, like I did when I was 19 or 17 or so years old, that I had been faking the funk. I had been, y'all know that phrase? I was going through the, I, I wouldn't even, honestly, I wouldn't even going through the motions. I just thought, I assumed I was a Christian that, that knew Jesus, and I didn't. How can you know Jesus and don't open the Bible? I didn't know him. For some of you, it'll mean conversion. It'll mean stepping decisively into following Jesus. It may mean embracing who Jesus is and what God has done for him, uh, done uh, through him for you. Saying yes, that you'll follow him. For others, it might mean stepping into a community group. That's what being a disciple might lead you to. Just being obedient to uh, come under the authority of this church and join a community group as your next step. For others, it may mean being going from being a church attender, just coming on Sunday and enjoying worship. And I love it that you do that. But I would tell you, you're not fully being discipled just by coming here and listening to, you know, participating in worship and and even hearing a sermon. Even a good sermon. For others, it might mean stepping into a level of intentionality that that you acknowledge that this is what you're here for. I'm here to be a disciple, but I'm also here to make disciples. And so, lastly, some of you have been coasting. And this is a rebuke. Some of you have been Christians uh, coasting, just stuck in the habit of doing church. And so as your pastor, um, 
Jesus is calling you and I'm 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 the one he's using uh, to unstick you. And he's saying, go, therefore, be a disciple and join the team. Let's make them as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the honestness of your word. We thank you for Jesus' words. All these red letters that are in our Bible. And this is, uh, for some of us, this is a hard word, for all of us really, this is a hard word to embrace. That Jesus really wants us uh, to not only be a disciple, that is, uh, drop everything we got and follow him wholeheartedly with all we got, but he wants us to, to, to join in on his mission of making disciples. And many of us in this room, really all of us, we're not up for the task. We don't have it in us to do all that you've commanded us to do. And so we ask for the Holy Spirit. Would you fill us? Would you empower us? Give us courage that we don't have. Help us in ways that we're asking. Help us in ways that we don't know to ask. Lord, I pray for those who are in this room that, you know, they might be playing church. They're coming, enjoying some worship, singing some songs, listening to a sermon, and perhaps leaving and leaving the response that they would that they should make to God in the room. I pray that during these next few weeks that you would break through a heart that hadn't quite yet grabbed hold of you and that you would uh, ever so gracefully give someone the knowledge of who you are and what you've done for them and let that knowledge trickle on down to their heart and help them to feel it, draw it out, but don't just stop there, Jesus. Would you, would you take what we know and what we feel and move us to action? That we, with all that we have, would follow you with reckless abandon. And that we would be so impassioned by what you're doing with us through the gospel that we would be, I don't know, compelled to go share it with others. That's what we ask. Make us disciples. Teach us to make them. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.